Good morning. Welcome to Emmanuel. My name is Kyle. I'm the lead pastor here, and it's my privilege to get to lead us on in our sermon series, Stay Positive. And uh, it was inevitable that the topic today would eventually come as we talk about staying positive. Today we're going to talk about money and stuff. And that's an important thing because uh, those things have an awful great ability to take away a lot of our positivity and a lot of our joy in life if we think about them in the wrong way. When I did my uh, premarital counseling facilitating training, one of the number one things they, they teach students who are going to be uh, counseling people is that money can be an issue. In fact, money is the number one issue that causes fights in most relationships. And uh, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but those of you who are uh, in relationships, maybe for a short time or a long time, uh, you can put up your hand inside if you have ever fought over. We already have some hands, but you're right. We, we, we do this and we fight and it causes a lot of stress because sometimes how we see money and finance and possessions and how we're supposed to interact with these things and use these things differently than even the partner who we are with for our life. But not only does it cause maybe some conflict externally, but it can also cause a lot of chaos internally. Forbes magazine put out an article that kind of summarized some of the studies that had been done around what the emotions are that are connected to most people for their thoughts around finance and possessions. And they found that the top three things that came out were stress, shame, and guilt. Stress, shame, and guilt are the three emotions that people have when they think about finance most often. And I don't think that that is the way it should be. And as we'll look at, as we look at scripture today, that is not the way God designed things to be. And so we're coming to this today with this perspective of how can we work through this major, significant, important topic that is a part of all of our lives. But as I, we, we get going, I want us to first stop and just consider, what is your relationship with money like? What's your relationship with your possessions like? Like, what feelings, what goes on in your, your heart and your mind when you think about that sort of thing? Do you find that you resonate with those things that Forbes said? Do you find that maybe stress pops up? Do you find maybe a concern about how am I going to get through this month? Do you get the paycheck uh, periodically and you just sit and you kind of pray over it every time you get it going, I hope God that this is going to be enough and that nothing else comes up? Well, if you have that sort of thought, there's a chance that you might have what's called a scarcity mentality. The scarcity mentality is this belief that you will never have enough. And there will never be enough for you to have. And the problem with this is that this mentality actually leads us towards a whole lot of fear and stress and anxiety. And most of us have experienced that. And in fact, over the last couple of years, we've seen some incredible examples of what the scarcity mentality does to people and the type of people who profit off it. And so I brought a few photos that I want to prompt your memory of what this looks like. Who remembers the great toilet paper shortage of 2020? 
Do you remember when there was this news that came out in Australia that there was going to be a toilet paper shortage? And this gentleman, we've cropped out his face for uh, his protection, but, you know, he went to Costco. The big flat deck, toilet paper, all of it. I'm sure he is still using that. Uh, you know, and like, this is what happened. Like, people heard, and it was crazy. People just lost their mind, only to find out that the only reason we were out of toilet paper was because everyone was hoarding it. Like, if we all just share a little, we get along just fine. But this was one of the concerns. Earlier this year, we had another sort of scare down south of the border. You might remember the gasoline crisis that was in the news. And in America, all across a number of different states, you would see people flocking to the pumps with anything they could do to get gas before it ran out. And so this lady here filling up her Rubbermaid with gas so that somehow she could pour that into something. And as extreme and far off as these examples seem, maybe there's something a little closer to home. Remember a couple weeks ago when our shelves look like this? That's supposed to be AC units and fans. Do you all remember that? And we knew the heat wave was coming and people just went crazy. But the thing is, it wasn't just people who needed them who went crazy. It was people who went ka-ching, I am going to profit off this. And they went and bought a $100 AC unit, sold it for two, three, four dollars $400 because they knew that there was going to be this crazy hunger. And we do these crazy things out of this perception that there's not going to be enough or that we can't have enough. And sadly, people profit off of laying that on us. And, and this mentality can come to us for all sorts of different reasons. It can come to us in the midst of crisis that confuse us or that are new to us and perhaps we're not prepared for. For some of us, maybe we've arrived at this mindset because we grew up poor and we have said to ourselves, never again am I going to go through what I went through in my childhood or through what my parents went through when they went through that problem. Some of us have maybe lost retirement funds or investment portfolios through the different economic downturns that have occurred over the last number of decades. Maybe others. It's been bad business deals, financial transactions, housing problems. We can all come to these different situations that lead us towards this panic, this stress, this anxiety that drives in, but nothing drives that more than what I think is the leading cause which is that we live in a culture of consumption. We have this mindset everywhere. We're inundated with this. We, we know it, whether you go to the mall, the grocery store, whether you're surfing the web, whether you're watching the news, you are just bombarded with advertising that says, eat me, buy me, drive me, you need me. And then while all that's happening, we also get the news saying, watch out, disaster is around every single corner. There is going to be a problem. You're going to need this protection. You're going to want this because if you don't take care of this, you're either stupid, lazy, or you're a failure. That's the message that we are bombarded with constantly. And that starts to take a toll on our hearts our minds, and our souls. But the problem is it, it sort of ends up being what we never think it would be. 
A lot of people arrive at the scarcity mentality where they're taught about this with this perception that if you understand that there's not enough, it's going to actually propel you to have enough. It's going to give you the drive you need. It's going to give you the security it brings if you just get this thing, that thing, or the other thing in place, and, and you're going to be full of prosperity. You're going to be full of great joy. But all of us who have gone through that know that at some point, that lets us down. And instead of feeling this joy and the sense of peace in what we have, we end up frustrated, discouraged, be down. We feel like we can just never get enough. And we wonder where that comes from. What's that? When did this start? It didn't start with the toilet paper crisis of 2020. It didn't start with the Great Depression. This is a human condition issue. This is an issue of biblical proportion. And I see it that way because this is an issue that the Bible talks about all the time. We see that it's a condition that has happened amongst people since the fall that came because of sin. Do you know that the Bible speaks over 2,000 times about money and possessions and our relationship to them? It's almost as if God knew what he was doing when he was putting together this book to say that, hey, maybe we're all going to go through this at some point or another, and we might need to learn how we can have a healthy relationship with money and finances, that we could understand how we should go about living so that our lives can prosper, not with a fake sense of prosperity, but with an understanding of a correct relationship between us and God and the things that he provides for us. Today we're going to look in particular, though, at one passage, which is found in Luke chapter 12. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at verses 22 to 34. Now, as you turn there, I just want to share a quick quote for you that helps me sort of frame the thoughts I have around this passage. And this was given, uh, it was once written by Dallas Willard. He said this, Jesus always directs us away from what harms us and turns us to who and, in, and what is best for us. And Jesus does this because he loves us. What we're about to read today is a message that is for us because Jesus sees that this scarcity mentality can take a hold and can harm us. And so he wants to provide a way forward so that we can embrace what would actually bring good into our lives. And so let's read what Jesus had to say. Luke chapter 12, verse 22 to 34. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body or what you will wear, for life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than the birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. But instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. 
Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you his kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. Lord, now as we wrestle through it, as we dive into the principles that are found here, Jesus, would we receive what you have that is good for us. Holy Spirit, lead us, guide us, allow us to embrace what you would want for our lives and for us going forward. And God, we just pray that you would use these ta- this time now. Lord, would these words not be mine, but they would, would they be yours. We pray this all for your glory in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. You know, many of us who have been around church for a while or are probably familiar with this passage. But sometimes familiarity brings a problem, and that's that we kind of don't really take it to heart. We might know this passage, be familiar with this passage, but the problem is then the passage gets all stuck up here. Everything that we, we read about, we, we learn about gets stuck here, but it never actually comes down and penetrates our heart and goes out into our lives. And that's concerning because we continue to fall into these same traps again and again and again. If you're like me, you might have periods where maybe you see God do something incredible. Maybe you read a passage like this one and and you take a step forward and you're like, I'm going to get out of this scarcity mentality. I'm going to trust in God. And maybe you do that for a while, but then you step back. That's why we come to these passages again and again, because we hope that continually, slowly, God will continue to work in us and allow us to experience all that he would have for us. God doesn't want us to have this frustration in our marriage, these inner turmoils that come on when we think about these topics. Instead, God wants us to have a healthy relationship with him and with these things. And so God sets up a a simple illustration that hopefully isn't there to just become something we know about, but something that we can experience as we go out into our lives. Jesus says, just take a look around for the reminder that you need. In verse 24, Jesus says, consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? I don't know about you, but I'm not a big raven fan. They're gross little critters. Actually, just yesterday, I was in a restaurant parking lot, and I watched a raven eating a dead rat. And I was like, that's that's totally gross, right? But it was so funny, because I'm I'm looking at this, and I'm just like, yeah. And what happened is is the the people who Jesus first sought to had this moment where they would look at ravens, and they'd be like, those things are gross. But Jesus wanted to set something up. You see, Jesus was speaking to them in a very specific context. Earlier on in the history of God's people, God had set up a number of rules for his people. And we can read about this in the book of Deuteronomy. And God said, there's some things that are going to be good for you and some things that are going to be bad for you. There's some things that are going to help you be healthy and stay safe. There's going to be some things that you should be concerned about. And so part of that whole thing was that God created a list of clean and unclean animals. These are the animals you can interact with. These are the animals you can eat, and these are the ones that you can't. And on the you can't list, on the unclean list, were ravens. 
Why? Because ravens eat rats in parking lots. They're disgusting. They're disease-ridden. And so they were not to touch them because God didn't want his people to become unhealthy. They didn't have the systems and healthcare we had. And so he set up this way for his people to prosper. He says, look at those things. They're gross. They're terrible. But notice something. God still cares for them. God actually provides for them on the regular. Over and over and over again, God will provide for them. Day after day after day, God cares for them. They don't have barns. They don't have storerooms. They don't go running around collecting all their rats to store them up in a shed so that they can slowly take them out of the deep freeze as they need. No. God provides for them every single day. I don't know what the brain of a bird thinks every single day. I don't think probably a whole lot, but I'm certain that it doesn't have to sit there and stress, oh man, what am I going to do if we run out of rats in parking lots this week? How am I going to get through? I need to start storing up. I need to start hoarding. Maybe I'll sell the extras if I need to. None of this happens, right? This is cared for. And Jesus says we should go around life and as we walk, we should see that God even cares for the least and most unimportant and unimpressive of things. But then he switches. He moves on to a more positive example that we see in verses 27 and 28. Jesus says, consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? So Jesus points to one thing that we all know. I mean, how many of us love to have flowers on the table or somewhere in our house? You go for a hike and you look around and you see the beauty of the fields and the trees and all of creation. And Jesus is saying, look what God has done. He's provided immensely. He's created beauty. He's taken care of even the smallest things. He's even taken care for that plant that's going to die. That tree that's going to lose its leaves by the fall for those flowers that are just going to wilt and die on your table centerpiece. God cares about each and every detail. And so Jesus invites us to look around our world and see how God provides. He says, if you want to end this problem of worry, this major stress that you all carry in life, you have to learn to look for God's provision. Francis Chan once wrote about all this. He says, every day is a sermon being preached saying God provides, God sustains. Are you looking for it? When we get caught up in the cycle of worry, stress, anxiety, it's often easy to focus on that specific problem. But Jesus here says, look outside of yourself. Look at what God provides. Perhaps it's time that each of us need to listen to the world that God has created around us and take encouragement from that place. But Jesus then takes it and he wants to take us, even as we experience that, we start to understand it a little more and he says, I want you to push it down into your heart. I want you to live this out. Now, most times I've heard this text preached on, and I have been guilty of this totally myself, we like to end at verse 31. We like to end where it says, trust in God and he's going to provide for you. And we like to skip over verse 32 to 34. 
But 32 to 34, I think, are some of the most powerful words in this passage because it really helps us embrace it and understand how we can learn to change our lives by the principle here. Let me read what Jesus has to say. He says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, or a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near, where no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's a very interesting link here that Jesus provides. And that link is that as God provides, we are also supposed to go and provide for others. Jesus invites us to the cure for our mentality of scarcity. And that's not just to recognize that God gives us things, but to use the things that God gives. And in that, there becomes this transaction where we receive what we need. Have you ever noticed that as you give, you get a lot of joy? Have you ever invested in a project that you really believed in? And then when that project has succeeded, you've gone, wow, it's incredible. I'm so thankful that I've got to be a part of that. Have you ever loaned a tool to your neighbor and had that change your perspective? I've seen that happen. You know, you, you go into your garage every day or your shop space once in a while and you walk past your wall of tools and it's just there. But then suddenly when you know your neighbor needs something and you're able to take it over to them and, and share it with them, you can come back into that garage later to hang that tool back up and be like, wow, I'm so thankful I have these things here. I'm so thankful that I had the opportunity to help serve my neighbor. It's amazing how actually putting into practice the appreciation of what God gives us by giving towards other, how that hardwires. It rewrites the script. The script in our head says there's not enough. You don't have enough. Accumulate more for yourself. Then you'll be confident. Then you'll be successful. Then you'll have no worries. But in actuality, that just drives us into our wheels spinning. But when we take what Jesus says here and say, hey, you know what? I'm actually going to take what I have and appreciate that God's given it to me and extend it out towards others. Wow, now something's changed in my heart. So, now, now, now something's changed in my perspective of the things I have and how I want to interact with them. This is something that, that, that has a brilliant and profound effect on us, and it really is true that it is better to give than receive. About a week and a half ago, I was at one of my mechanics, and I'm very fortunate I have lots of mechanics in my life, and actually all of them are very generous people, and I'm thankful for them. But in particular, I had a really interesting interaction with one of them uh, a week and a half ago. I, I brought my car over to him, and I was talking to him, and uh, my relationship with him actually began in that we had had a car that died. The engine blew up, and... Uh, I couldn't fix it. We just couldn't afford to fix it at the time. And so he said, you know what? What I'm going to do is I'm going to buy your car off you. I'm going to fix it up. And then I'm going to sell it on the cheap to a single mom in need. And this is what he does. He takes vehicles. He buys them on the cheap from people who can't afford to fix them. He fixes them at his cost. And then he gives them away sometimes. He sells them to people who are in need. And he has this incredible ability of, of having and showing generosity. But as we were talking about that, because there was uh, an escape, which is what I brought into him previously in the, in the driveway for sale, I, had, I had began talking just about what else he does. 
And he started sharing with me about how just before COVID, he and his wife were in process of buying a property in Mexico. And they weren't buying this property in Mexico for their own uh, vacation destination. But what he said to me is, I want to purchase a property where we can send people who we know from our community who are in need and can't afford to go on a vacation too. We want to be able to just bless people who, who can't get a break by sending them down to Mexico and I'm going to drive one of my cars down and leave it there so they can go explore. And, and we just want to do this for the community. And I turned to him and I said, Harry, why do you do this, man? <laughs> like, this is crazy. Like, like what, what is it about this? Uh, like, why? He says, you know what? Because I'm selfish. Because I get so much joy out of what I give. He says, I actually feel like I get way more than those people get by getting a deal. Because it does something great for me. It makes me feel happy about my shop and my life and the things that I have. And I get to share that with others. And this is the truth. And we all know it in small ways, hopefully. But the question is, have we adopted that into being a lifestyle? Have we embraced this as being part of what gets us through in these times where our mind focuses on scarcity. God hardwired us to give. And we actually see it right here in this text that we actually receive so much. He says, where you put your treasure, there your heart will be also. When you give, you receive the kingdom. You get more of who God is. You get to embrace more of what he's about. And so as we give, it removes the worry because we receive even more and things that are worth far more value. So how can we do it? Well, generosity can take place in all sorts of ways. And I think one of the big principles here, we see that Jesus says, well, you see the poor, go and serve them. Go and help them. We can do that in all sorts of ways. When you see a need, do you run to it and to try to meet it? Perhaps it's a family member. Perhaps it's a neighbor and you see them struggling on something. Sometimes our generosity and our, our living out of it can be lending a tool or lending some time or giving a hand with somebody who's working on something on the other side of the fence. Sometimes it can be that we know somebody who is just struggling to get by, and so we, out of the little bit extra that we have, can provide for them. Another thing that God has instituted is tithing. And I know sometimes people cringe when they, they hear that, when a pastor starts talking about it, but this is an important thing. It's not a church thing. It's not a pastor thing that we came up with to, to pay our salaries. This is a God-ordained thing. God imagined this for us for our benefit. The word tithe comes from this Hebrew word that means one-tenth. And God invites his people to, to bring the first tenth of whatever they earn or have back to him as an opportunity to thank him for what they've received. But it's not just this thing where it's a transactional relationship with God. It should never be thought of that God needs this. God provides us with everything we have. He doesn't need us to bring our 10%. But what it does is it provides and opens the door for us to receive more of our kingdom, to focus more of our life on the one who provides. Where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. Practicing this helps us orient our hearts toward God. It's good for the soul to give. It's good for the heart to give. It's good for our worry to give. 
This is an invitation that God places before us for our sake and for the sake of those around us. What would our lives look like? How much more free from worry would we be if we walked around and looked at how God provided and then with thanksgiving went and lived generously just like him? And you know, our generosity is actually one, a test of something, and two, an opportunity to display something. First, it's a a test of, have we embraced who God is? If we're his people, we'll take on his character, and God has displayed his love and his generosity by meeting the most significant need in the world. We're all in need of a savior. We were all guilty of sin and deserved death, but Jesus came to lay his life for us down so that we, through grace by faith, could receive an eternity that starts now and continues on forever with him. And so part of this is just about modeling after that. It's about participating in. And then it's an opportunity to express that love for him to the world. It opens doors for us to share. People like me will ask guys like Harry, hey, why do you do it? And he has an opportunity to share. We too open doors when we take an opportunity to share with others. But there's a challenge in this. One of Jesus' closest friends, a guy named John, once wrote this. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? So dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. Are we modeling the love that we ought to model? Are we showing that the love of God is within us? I would challenge you. Be generous. Display this. Whether you give to our church or whether you're given to the neighbor or somewhere else, be generous because this is what Jesus invites us to do and he offers an extension of providing exactly what we need, of answering the very problem that we struggle with on the regular. The question is, will we take it? Will we step up to do and obey what God has called us to do? Now, I know for some of us, we sit here and we go, ah, that sounds great, but what about my budget? Or what if I don't even have that much? And I I want to address both of those things because they are valid questions and they're important questions. And I want to do it by sharing two stories. The first story answers this question of, what about the budget? What if it's just a struggle? And, and, And for me, a story that has been great has been our close friends, Eli and Donna. Eli and Donna are a couple that my wife and I have known uh, since before we were married in North Van, and, and they had this incredible, generous spirit. But they learned it kind of the hard way, and they learned it from wrestling through these values. When Eli and Donna first got married, they both had uh, uh, good jobs where they felt God had called them to. He worked for a small nonprofit that worked in food security, and she was a teacher on call. Great jobs, not necessarily great paychecks. And they struggled and they thought, well, like, how are we going to get by? Well, okay, we, we feel like we're called to this. We, we feel like God's brought us to this place. We're, we're going we're gonna to figure this out. And as they were talking about this, Eli had actually come across this passage. And he said, 
you know, Donna, I think what we need to do is we need to follow what Jesus says here. We need to thank God for what we have. We need to set first the ability to be generous, and then we're going to let everything else go. We're going to see if God will provide like he provides. And so they went through this, and they were planning on having a baby, and it really got put to the test after that baby girl was born. Anyone here who is a parent knows the sticker shock of the first time you go shopping for diapers and wipes and all that, and you go, oh man, having a kid is expensive. And they're living in North Van. It's expensive to live in North Van, and they're working for small jobs, not huge paychecks, but they said, you know what? We feel convicted to trust in God and follow him in this. If this is what he says, if he promises that he'll provide, if he invites us to be generous, we're going to do this. And so what they did is they set a budget. And every month at the end of the month, they'd collect all the receipts and they'd sit down and they'd reconcile those receipts against the budget. And amazingly, month after month after month, they had $1 left over. And what was incredible is their car broke down. Someone from the church said, hey, I bought a new one. Would you like our old car? They would have an unexpected bill. And suddenly a, a bonus would come in at work or Donna would get an extra couple shifts and they were able to cover the budget. If we think with the world's mindset, we go, oh, that's just coincidence. But when we are people of God and we look at what God promises, we say, no, that's God's provision. And that has been the example that I have embraced, and it's not always been easy, but it's been wonderful. Eli and Donna in this scripture have taught me so much, and we have seen in, in, in my family, in our life, that when we have given, when we have given our, our tithe, we, we, give, we give monthly to the church, and then we try to support other projects. When we give, it's amazing how time and time again, no matter what comes up, that God provides this is the one area God invites us. He says, come on, test me in this. Test me and I will provide. Now, what about if we just don't have a lot? I think sometimes we can get discouraged by this. We can think, wow, but you know, the budget's thin. I got that dollar left over at the end of the month. I'm not sure what I can do. Well, I want you to consider the heart Jesus had towards a little old lady. There was one time when Jesus was sitting with his disciples and they were watching people come in to the temple to give. And some of these people came in and, you know, they're rich people given loads of money and by all standards in terms of amounts, these were the people who should have been celebrated. But Jesus watches them go, go by until all of a sudden this little old widow walks up and she drops in two mites. Two mites is worth a couple cents. And Jesus says, hey guys, come here. Come here, come here, come here, come here. I want you to see that lady. That lady is doing it. That's what I want to see. She gave sacrificially. She gave generously. And that's all that I want and need. We don't know what happened with that little old lady, but I trust because I know what this says in God's word that she was provided for and that she gained so much. The question is, will we do the same. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word, God. It's a challenging word, and God, I know that there's a lot of folks here who 
Finances are tight. Finances are struggle. God, there's some of us living paycheck to paycheck. There's some of us who don't even like opening our bank account because we don't want to see that number every month. Lord, there's others who, who, who have the finances and have the stability, and, and this isn't the challenge in the same way, but Lord God, for all of us, we know that we need to embrace this. God, you invite us into something that is about so much more than having stuff or having money. You invite us in to participate in building your kingdom and receiving your kingdom. God, I pray that you would encourage every one of us here and now in the way that we need to give and serve and receive. God, I thank you that you are a God who provides, that you are a God who is faithful, that you are a God who welcomes us to test you in this area. And God, I'm thankful that you are the God who delivers on that promise time and time again for myself and for many others. God, I pray that if there's anyone here who is scared today, Holy Spirit, would you work in them and allow them to have the the boldness to step out in faith, to live generously as an act of receiving your provision, to break down the scarcity mindset that they have. Lord God, would you tear down the walls that have been built up between how they are supposed to live and how they actually live. And Lord, as those things are leveled, would more and more of your kingdom come rushing into their lives. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you paid for our greatest need, that you provided a way for us to have a relationship for you. And Lord God, we now ask that everything we do, every way we live generously this week would be an expression of thanks for who you are and what you have accomplished. Now, Lord God, as we continue on in song, we celebrate and remember what it is that is of most value. And from that, would all else come? We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.